Welcome to Food Focus, a weekly companion to the Retail Focus podcast. Each show will discuss news, issues, and product releases in the restaurant, fast food, beverage, and grocery industries. Here are your hosts, Trent Kling and Leighton Kling. This is the Food Focus Podcast. Trent and Leighton Kling with you. Today we'll discuss a lot from the world of fried chicken as Red Robin introduces a new chicken and waffle sandwich and Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen released their fiscal 2016 second quarter earnings last week. We'll talk about McDonald's as well as they recall a bunch of Happy Meal toys for causing burns. But first we begin with KFC and it's not so much about earnings and it's not so much about their product mix but it's about what they're doing in the promotion space. They released a fried chicken scented sunscreen on Monday and it quote-unquote sold out on their website. Their website, extracrispysunscreen.com, gave away about 3,000 bottles to customers that put in contact information on the website. Again, this was a free giveaway promotion, and it's connected with their movement to George Hamilton as their new colonel, and he's known for being tan. He's being portrayed as the extra crispy colonel. Previous colonels have included Norm MacDonald and Jim Gaffigan, among others. But it seems like they've tied in this sunscreen promotion very well. But more importantly, they've gotten a ton of free media attention and positive social media messages about it. Absolutely. As you said, it's really just a matter of a few hours. They sold out a total of 3,000 bottles, and they did so under a free campaign. Their promotion was launched in conjunction with their movement of George Hamilton, as you mentioned. But this is really saying something to the ability of KFC to reach out and get viral status within just a matter of days. So there were a number of interesting articles talking about just the breadth of social media attention and mainstream media attention that KFC was able to get from the sunscreen promotion. Obviously, KFC never really intended to have sunscreen as a permanent fixture as far as selling is concerned. But while this freebie is an exclusive deal, I am sure they're planning on rolling out several things in the future to get continued publicity and to drive customers into their stores. A number of local television news stations picked up on stories from their larger networks and ran them, some as recently as this morning on their morning shows. So the story has had legs, and you've got to give all credit to their ad agencies, Ogilvy and Mather, as well as Whedon and Kennedy. Whedon and Kennedy is responsible for this latest stunt with the chicken-scented sunscreen, or the fried chicken-scented sunscreen. Basically, they've found a way to get a ton of viral advertising advertising for what amounts to very little cost. Their cost in the 3,000 bottles is fairly slim, and yet there have been some estimates that have said the amount of marketing and free advertising and publicity they've gotten from this, and remember it's been mostly positive, is worth well into the millions. I actually spoke with a social marketing expert this morning about the very topic, and they agreed that the total was at the very least in the millions, and possibly more than that. You look at Good Morning America and ABC running stories about it. There were articles in USA Today, Time, The Weather Channel, Yahoo and Forbes. And what's notable is a lot of these stories didn't 
take place on Monday, which is when they launched the website, but they caught on to it Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So they were a little late to the game, which gave the story longer legs than most of these promotions have. Within 24 hours of the website going live, the sunscreen had 11,000 mentions on social media, and this is according to Brandwatch analyst Kellen Terry. During that time, 75.9% of all the references to the KFC brand were positive on social media, and that also according to Kellen Terry. So you're seeing not only driving of viral news by KFC, but most of the messages that have been out there have been positive. There's a great article on the website Digiday about their viral marketing work. Their video promoting the product had a quarter million views within 24 hours. Since then, it's worked their way up to about a million views, which is just incredible for Yum! Brands. The question is, though, how does this connect with KFC's market share going forward and their ability to pluck new customers rather than the customers that are already hard and fast KFC fans? That's a very relevant question and and one that I'm sure is going to be answered in the quarters that precede this one as far as sales are concerned. Obviously, internationally, they're struggling to garner the sales that the U.S. does. But I think this really speaks volumes to the reach that KFC does have. Digiday.com, the website that you had mentioned previously, did say that within a matter of hours that this promotion went international. People and news sources in the UK were talking about it. And they had also said that a quick search on Google News pulled up 95 news sites on Tuesday. Again, this was just a day after they rolled out this sunscreen promotion. So just a massive amount of reach. And I think the question there is a valid one. How is this really going to relate to sales of the KFC product? They're obviously promoting the new kernel here with this promotion. And really, that's been a big push for them in the last six months or so, bringing in these new kernels. They've had Norm McDonald and Jim Gaffigan, obviously. But this is a different type of promotion when you're offering a different product than you've ever sold before. So really, it's getting a little bit of brand recognition in there, but they're not rolling out a new product, not a new tasteful product that they are trying to offer to a new customer. They're just offering sunscreen and really trying to get their brand out in that regard. But really, the big winner here is those that are selling it on eBay up to over $120 for individual bottles of this KFC sunscreen. I think these are the real winners here. You got to give all credit to WNK, their ad agency in charge of this promotion. Another of their ad agencies, Ogilvy and Mather, ran a chicken flavored nail polish promotion in Hong Kong, where they announced that they were going to roll it out, but it never actually got rolled out, apparently. However, bottles of the nail polish did get sent to media companies, and it created a stir for those that remember earlier this year. So, this isn't the first time that KFC has tried a fried chicken scented or fried chicken flavored something to drum up either brand recognition or try to become a viral sensation. The only difference with the sunscreen is the sunscreen, despite being SPF 30 and actually functional sunscreen, it's not edible in this circumstance. And in fact, they have various disclaimers on their website and on the sunscreen itself telling people not to engage in consumption of the sunscreen. Still a very interesting promotion, and I'll be anxious to see how they refer to this in their next quarterly results for Yum! Brands. 
We'll definitely keep our eyes peeled on the results from KFC and to see exactly if it does bolster any business, at least domestically or internationally. Moving on to our next story, something that also went viral, National Waffle Day. This occurred this last Wednesday, and as it turns out, it scaled to be on a very large basis, at least in the U.S., National Waffle Day occurs on August 24th every year in remembrance of the first American patent on a waffle iron. And this, again, was this last Wednesday, August 24th. And this was actually a really interesting thing. I was trying to dig some research out, and I didn't see much mentions of it in years prior. So I think a lot of companies were a little bit short-sighted in this and the promotion building up to this. But in the United States, the first patent waffle iron was actually issued to Cornelius Swarthout of Troy, New York on August 24th, 1869. So this is really in remembrance of that day and how much the waffle business has grown. This year on Waffle Day, I learned a number of things about waffles and some of the research that you did was enlightening. It's interesting that the first patent was filed in 1869, yet the first electric waffle iron wasn't introduced until 1911 by General Electric. Eggos hit the stores in 1953, and then Belgian waffles made their debut in 1964. Credit to you, Leighton, for doing that great research to enable me to sound smart on the podcast. But some of the Waffle Day promotions this year included Coldstone Creamery in Florida giving you a free plain waffle cone on Wednesday. Comfort Hotels opened up their breakfast buffets to first responders. They offered free waffles to first responders on Wednesday. Wednesday morning, and there were other various locations of franchises like Jamba Juice in Eugene, Oregon, giving deals on waffles. Uh, Waffle House offered a free waffle when you became a Waffle House regular by signing up for their email newsletter. Whole Foods had a promotion in South Carolina. But one of the interesting things is, you know, National Pancake Day is such a big deal to IHOP. They sell waffles as well, and they didn't seem to get in on this promotion as some other businesses did. No, you're very correct. I did a little bit of research there as well. And I, it, the International House of Pancakes in 2011, they had a promotion celebrating National Waffle Day, but I did not see anything since. They did issue a statement saying that you can get a free pancake meal with an email sign up, but then nothing to do specifically with waffles. So I think that's a little bit interesting. Obviously, it is the International House of Pancakes, so maybe they want to stray away from the waffle business a little bit. But you see a lot of smaller companies, especially in in the South, the Deep South, that aren't really big chains like IHOP or Waffle House really take advantage of this promotion and offer different varieties of free products to their customers. And I think it's saying a lot to what's going to happen next year when this rolls out. I think this social media push for National Waffle Day is going to make it much bigger for the next couple of years. I think we're seeing this in regards to National Pancake Day. National Pancake Day is a huge day that obviously IHOP does take advantage of that day. But it's just really interesting time when you can have such a large social media push and then companies are really trying to take advantage of this in a multitude of ways, not just by selling free product or giving away product, but just trying to drive home the message of what they sell and what their business is. I think the tweet itself or the Twitter stream surrounding the hashtag National Waffle Day caught people off guard with how popular it actually was. Amazon later of the day actually took advantage of it by tweeting out a shirt that was basically an entire 
waffle design on the shirt and their tweet said because you like waffles a waffle lot so they were able to get in on the mix but as far as people actually preparing for national waffle day it seems like it was fairly slim outside of waffle house with that national promotion and of course comfort hotels which is very convenient for them because they have those self-service waffle irons at most of their buffets or their breakfast buffets throughout their hotels in the country you know we've talked about national pancake day and national burger day just in passing on our previous podcast and those still seem like bigger events you know we mentioned ihop but one of the other businesses that we've talked about on the food focus and retail focus podcast that could really use a promotion like this is bob evans they've kind of been spinning their tires as far as their restaurant offerings and their same store sales so perhaps hopping on board with a promotion like this not a bad idea for a business like bob evans Well, we moved from waffles back to fried chicken, but fried chicken with waffles, since apparently those are the only two foods we'll be talking about today on the Food Focus. Red Robin rolls out a new chicken and waffle burger titled The Bee's Knees Finest Chicken Burger. This burger has tempura fried chicken breast glazed in honey that's mixed with angry orchard hard cider, a spicy jalapeno relish topped with citrus marinated tomatoes and onions with shredded romaine. And that's between two crispy Belgian waffle style buns. So it's a very involved sandwich. It's an interesting sandwich and it's a new take on a southern classic chicken and waffles a meal that's very popular predominantly in the southern united states but for this for red robin you've got a couple of different concerns one is it's obviously limited time so how do they treat it if it actually does take off and two is is this too involved for most red robin customers it's obviously too involved for them to sell in their smaller ready to eat and to go locations yeah that's a very good point i think the smaller locations are probably going to struggle with this if they do indeed carry it. That's an interesting thing you bring up. I did additional research with Red Robin here to try to see if there's any specific markets they're trying to really target, but it looks as though this would be a massive rollout. It doesn't look like there's any locations that aren't going to carry this Bee's Knees Finest Chicken Burger, but you bring up an interesting point about the customer base. A lot of customers associate Red Robin with just a normal American burger a normal burger on a normal bun with any variety of cheese, but this really does stray away from what they're known for, and I would think this would really be a hit in the southern area of the United States, but really no results coming back from this, and as you mentioned, it is a temporary one-off promotion, it looks like. So November 6th, they will be cutting the Bee's Knees Finest Chicken Burger at their locations, but if you go to their website now, you do see the description, which you had already mentioned, and you see an amazing picture picture of this burger and they don't say anything about having it be a a limited amount of locations or markets. I did look on social media to try to gauge response from this burger and the the few amount of responses that I did see surrounding this were actually very positive. So this brings up an interesting question for the strategy of a larger chain like Red Robin going forward when you have these specialty items and if it really takes off with your customer base and then you take it away, what does this do for the brand overall and the brand recognition? 
The other aspect of these limited time rollouts, you know, it's always good to have these limited time products to kind of change things up. And IHOP, which is a restaurant we just talked about, they do a lot of that in terms of seasonal releases. So you'll see pumpkin pancakes around October, that type of thing. But in this circumstance for Red Robin, when you roll out something of this nature, you kind of do want it to go viral like the Whopperito did for Burger King and like a lot of other limited time promotions for fast food restaurants have done. If you're rolling out something that's limited time, even if you are a sit down restaurant like Red Robin and you've got that concept going, you would like to see more of that response on social media. And you're right. References to this burger, if you can call it that, are tough to come by on social media you want ideally people to be posting this to instagram for people to be uh, photographing this and uploading it to twitter and we really haven't seen that so far it seems like there's a couple of different ways to go about things one is kind of the taco bell and burger king camp of let's come up with something so ridiculous that it's going to fire out there on social media and build up our brand. And the other is, let's create a culinary masterpiece that our customers can enjoy for a limited time. But you're right, if you pursue the latter, and it is a popular product, I think a lot of the thought process behind rolling these back is that they can't maintain popularity. But we saw back in the late 90s with the spicy chicken sandwich at Wendy's, that's kind of the key example. You can use chicken fries even at Burger King as another example. This is is something you can adopt in your regular menu if it is popular enough. And so sometimes restaurants will reserve this position, this seasonal position or limited time position on a menu item that they want to try and kind of give a test flight before they adopt it to their regular menu on a regular basis. But in this case, this seems A, very involved, B, like something that they'd be unable to serve in their to-go restaurants where they guarantee that you'll be walking out the door in five minutes with a Red Robin burger in your hand. And C, this is something that we really haven't seen outside of their website a media push on. Yeah, and that's something that we're really addressing here is that this burger falls kind of in between all the different promotional offerings of other restaurants. It's something that is a specialty item, but it's also something that they may want to go long term, especially in those markets that would desire something like chicken and waffles. But I think overall, this is a true test to see if their one-off promotions can succeed. I think a chicken and waffle burger is something that they're trying not to have really as a mainstay going forward, but to really see what hits in certain markets maybe and really get a feel for something maybe going forward as far as a different menu option or maybe they are trying to look at maybe certain markets are really liking this chicken waffles burger and so maybe in certain areas they are going to keep it on a permanent basis but it is a fine line that they're really having here because if you have a huge social media response from a particular item you do want that to stick around you don't want to take it away from people that have grown fond of something so this is a very good question you raise and i'm curious to see if perhaps maybe they extend this promotion or if they do have some permanence in certain more popular markets for red robin well, we do have one earnings call here that we're going to discuss. Last Wednesday, Popeye's Louisiana Chicken released their fiscal second quarter 2016 earnings. The company performed well 
overall, but the company has outlined a strategy that may be questionable going forward. And this kind of ties in to what we were talking about with Red Robin. They really want to mix special one-time promotions with a consistent value. They really want to drive home the value to their customers because they're saying that overall consumers are still weary of the future and want a chain that gives value consistently. However, they are opposed to having a long-term value menu for their individual restaurants, something that a lot of analysts are questioning here. But overall, as for their performance, the revenues increased 3.9% to $61.7 million for the quarter compared to $59.4 million for the second quarter of 2015. So this is a substantial increase for them. I think mostly, though, they saw growth internationally and they're kind of struggling to find how they're going to grow sales domestically. There are some red flags here. If you look at their earnings release, they're very clear to point out that their revenues increased 3.9% to 61.7 million compared to 59.4 million in the second quarter of 2015. But I think the red flags stem from their domestic same store sales, which were flat. Their global same store sales did see an increase of 0.7%. But at least domestically, they went from 7.9% increase in last year's second quarter to completely flat in this year's second quarter. So it looks like from the comments based on Cheryl Batchelder, the Popeye's CEO, they're not going to pivot in any one direction. They're not panicking, and you don't necessarily want to see panic in this circumstance. They're saying they want to give guests a balance of new products and then value-oriented promotions. But in terms of Popeyes, they really start to drive home the idea that they want to launch limited time offerings and special products. I think a lot of companies are seeing what the aforementioned Burger King and Taco Bells of the world are doing and want to mimic that. The problem is with Popeyes, they're not known for implementing too many new products or products that go viral whatsoever. In fact, they're known mostly for their chicken, their biscuits, and their red beans and rice. So somehow they've got to step outside their comfort zone with one of those. I understand the desire not to adopt a value platform because when you do that, your revenues per ticket or your amount per ticket might suffer because people begin to go away from the value meals that you're already offering and towards that constant value platform. The second problem with a value platform in the chicken space is the price of chicken is prone to more fluctuation than, say, the price of beef for a McDonald's or a Burger King or a Taco Bell. And we saw this last year when there was a bird flu problem in the United States. We saw prices of chicken and eggs both rise. So if you are a chicken restaurant, it's very difficult to hem yourself and your franchisees into that price point, knowing that should the price of chicken skyrocket notably, you're really going to be hurting your margins in the long term. So I understand not wanting to adopt a value platform and wanting to do sales on a limited time basis because it gives them more flexibility as far as margins are concerned, and they can move those limited time value offerings up or down as the market dictates. But at the same time, despite the fact that they've continued to expand and continued to add restaurants and they claim a very large market share over publicly traded chicken companies, you start to see a little bit of market pressure, not only from KFC, which we talked about earlier, but other chicken chains as well. And then you have Chick-fil-A, which operates somewhat in this space, although they don't sell bone-in chicken. And you've got a lot of competition coming from all sides. Absolutely. And that's probably why 
they are trying to have the value and the new menu offerings there. But overall, they do talk a lot about the lower input costs that are related to their products. So obviously the low fuel costs that you and I have been talking about for a long time as it relates to retail and the food industry, they're seeing a lot of positives from that. And then they did mention steady employment numbers. So not a lot of volatility in the employment market. And it looks good there on that front, despite the wage increases that they're going to be seeing going forward in the next few years. But they don't want to have any solid, consistent value menu offering because they're worried about those numbers going up. Like I said, wages, we're talking about some markets that are seeing fast food wages upwards of $15 an hour. So that's something they want to shy away from as far as a value menu. You can't sell something for $2.50 and get the same margin on it if your costs are going up or if they're double. So we all know that gasoline won't stay that low forever. If it doubles, that's a huge input cost for a Popeye's restaurant. You can't really expect the same profit margins going forward. Overall, they do mention a record high 26.6% market share for the chicken quick service restaurant category in the U.S. And this is compared to a 25.4% in the second quarter of 2015. You and I were talking a little bit before about how they really aren't taking into consideration potentially some private brands like the Chick-fil-A's of the world. But if you look back at their 2014 numbers and just compare them in the chicken quick service restaurant industry to the likes of KFC and Chick-fil-A, they actually come in third as far as U.S. system-wide sales. So in 2014, they had 2.43 billion dollars worth of total sales KFC coming in at 4.2 billion and Chick-fil-A at 5.7 billion dollars and we all know that Chick-fil-A has expanded remarkably fast in the last two to three years there so I would expect that number to be much larger however they are a privately held company so the data on them is a little bit scarce but overall I don't see where they're getting the 26.6 number but if you're comparing that to the same metrics, assuming they're using the same way of quantifying things in the second quarter of 2015, they have gained there. So that's a good thing. But as you mentioned, just a highly competitive space. You have Zaxby's, Bojangles, Church's Chicken, all in the mix there, coming up with market share, trying to get every little bit they can. And I guarantee you they're going to be looking at some consistent value menu offerings. I think someone's going to be taking advantage of that space. You see a lot of fast food kind of trying to shy away from that but it really hasn't worked out too well for the restaurants that have strayed away from the consistent value menu offerings but as you said the chicken quick service restaurant category is a little bit different of a dynamic there but if they are to navigate successfully they should be able to compete not only on their limited time offers but also on those consistent value offerings and it's interesting we fielded a listener email who had recommended perhaps Zaxby's or the fast casual or fast service chicken industry as a possible talking point. And it just so happens that a lot of the news this week fell in the fried chicken category. We'd like to talk about uh, businesses like Zaxby's, Raising Cane's, Bojangles on a future food focus podcast. As far as Popeye's is concerned, 
their method is expanding out against this competition. You know, Zaxby's, Raising Cane's, Bojangles, those were all seeing expansion, especially Raising Cane's was opening a restaurant or two, it seems like, every single week. Popeye's, during the first 28 weeks of fiscal 2016, they've opened 43 restaurants, 23 of those domestically. Their net restaurant openings were 36, so they also closed seven restaurants during that period. In the last year, the entire chain has grown by 6.2%. So that's over the last 12 months. So Popeye's is expanding as well, but you're seeing same-store sales begin to stagnate. So the other question is, do the lion's share of consumers want the bone-in chicken? Do they want what Popeye's is selling, which is a very traditional product? We haven't seen too much pushing the envelope. Or do they want to try new products or even simplified menus like those you might see at a Raising Cane's? And that's a question that the company will have to answer in the next few months. There are positives, though, for Popeye's. When you look at their company-operated restaurant operating profit, it's excellent. 18.7% of sales, which is a fantastic margin. It's $4.7 million on $25.2 million in sales. So they do operate company restaurants as well as franchise restaurants, although the franchise restaurants make up the larger share of total store offerings for Popeye's. So they're operating profit and their margins excellent once again this year their margins were down 0.8 percent from the second quarter of 2015 but this is still a really good margin for a fast food restaurant absolutely you mentioned a really good point there with the bone in we talk about wake stops last quarter earnings and they actually killed it they are same store sales were above three percent and so they've also been expanding their number of locations at a faster rate than Popeye so again a whole different dynamic when you're talking about the chicken restaurant industry and within that they're offering all different types of items different toppings with the different seasons obviously you have football coming up so wing stop and Pizza Hut wing street locations locations are going to be taking advantage of that time. So an entirely different world there as far as the fast food industry is concerned. But you mentioned a lot of good points. It just the overall operationally Popeye's is still doing quite well. You're not saying any panic as far as the earnings call is concerned. And I think if they get their new product offerings correct, I think they can be a little bit more competitive going forward and at least keep some of the market share that they do in fact have. I did want to quickly mention, according to QSR Magazine, were the data metrics from the 2014 system-wide sales of the Chick-fil-A, KFC, and Popeyes. Wingstop was actually number eight in 2014 in the U.S. market for chicken quick service restaurant sales. And so I think that's actually gained a little bit from that point. But I think that overall, you are going to be seeing a more competitive environment. And I think that it's going to be something we'll have to keep an eye on. You know, with Wingstop, they're another restaurant that offers a simplified menu just like Raising Cane's does, and that's another good example of a chicken restaurant that is expanding. As far as Popeye's future expansion, they still want to open 200 to 235 restaurants total for fiscal year 2016, so they're about a third of the way to that mark. They would have to really expand throughout the last two quarters of the year to be able to retain that number, but they confirmed that on guidance, and they want net new restaurant openings in the range of 140 to 185, so they're not adverse to closing more stores than the seven they've closed to this point 
this year, and this tells me that they're trying to refocus their efforts towards different stores, close some of the underperforming stores, and hone things in. They still expect a little bit of a gain on same-store sales overall for the total fiscal year, and they expect positive earnings per share. You know, The earnings part of it is very strong, but again, you worry if same-store sales growth ends up missing on the range of 1% to 2%, which they forecast for overall fiscal 2016. Moving on to our last story for this edition of the Food Focus podcast, McDonald's recalled a ton of Happy Meal toys for causing burns on small children, McDonald's actually reports that 29 million fitness trackers that were included in Happy Meals are now recalled thanks to 70 reports, including seven reports of blisters from the wearing around the wristband. So honestly, this is something that is giving McDonald's horrible press, unlike our previous story about KFC's sunscreen, which has not had any health or safety reports. You know, when we talk about recalls, sometimes it seems a little bit overblown. We discussed the Starbucks recall of the metal straws a few weeks ago, and there were four instances over the course of three years and millions of straws being sold, and they decided to go ahead and recall that product. There were 29 million of these products distributed, but they've already gotten a number of complaints from multiple parents, about 70 overall. And what's worse is a lot of these complaints have taken place over social media and they've grown legs. So they've gotten a lot of negative press, as you mentioned. The toy that's in question is the Step It device. Actually, there's two different devices. One blinks and it will blink more vigorously the more vigorous a child's activity is. The other is essentially a pedometer, uh, but it's being marketed as an activity tracker. And the hypothesis here, although this hasn't been necessarily confirmed, is that the battery contained within these Step-It devices has heated to the point of causing these burns or blisters when used for a long period of time. The battery's not removable either, so these devices are a little bit more temporary than a permanent device. As I mentioned, there are a couple of different devices, and writers have actually gone out and tested these and the pedometer doesn't necessarily work very well. In fact, one rider got somewhere in the neighborhood of 7,000 steps for lifting weights at the gym and actually not moving too much. But it is a Happy Meal toy, so you don't expect certainly exact pedometer numbers when you're purchasing the Happy Meal and getting the pedometer in the Happy Meal. Perhaps the more alarming thing, though, is the warming of the battery. And the writers that have tested this said that although they have not had burns or blisters themselves, that the pedometer did warm up as they started to work with it and as they wore it throughout the day. So that is something that's a little bit interesting to note. McDonald's has reached out and said that if you've ended up with one of these items in your Happy Meal, simply bring the toy back and the child can get a new toy as well as either apple slices or yogurt. So it seems like a pretty good offer from McDonald's as they try to stem the tide of negative PR. Honestly, I, th I think they could have really stemmed this in the first place by not offering such devices in a Happy Meal. I think McDonald's Happy Meals are really known for having toys, not fitness trackers. So I know that these are a little bit cheaper and they're meant for perhaps children who are going to not be treating them as a fitness tracker. It's more of a fun thing to have, but I think McDonald's needs to look at this going forward and say, listen, we shouldn't have these types of things in Happy Meals. Not only is it a safety concern or ends up being a safety concern, I don't think the child really gets amusement from these types of items. So I think a lot of adults were probably taking their kids' 
fitness trackers and using it for themselves. But overall, this should be a lesson learned for McDonald's. And I'd like to see that they've really acted out of an abundance of caution. And, and like you said, they're really trying to pay people back who have gotten a fitness tracker from a McDonald's location. But overall, I think they're thinking too much about trying to diversify their selection of items that are going to be included in Happy Meal offerings. I think that they really tried to hit it big here on the social media front, trying to say, listen, we're more oriented as far as the fitness goes for the people who eat our food, but that's not really their niche. McDonald's is known for selling burgers and fries, and I think they should stick to that. I think, obviously, they're trying to reach out to a broader audience and, and say, listen, we, we have fitness trackers now, but this isn't really the route that McDonald's should be taking. I'm glad to see that they're actually recalled and that they're moving on and now selling ordinary conventional toys. This was something when it was first launched that a number of people said hooray for McDonald's, connoting the idea of activity alongside food consumption. But there was one pediatrician that was interviewed recently by CNN that said that McDonald's essentially is focusing or trying to get parents to focus on the energy out aspect of the food cycle rather than the energy in aspect of the food cycle. The end of the day, it's a fitness tracker that you're getting for eating at McDonald's. And although McDonald's has made strides in terms of making their Happy Meals more healthy, moving away from fries and every single Happy Meal and offering apple slices and yogurt and that type of thing as an option, McDonald's certainly is not necessarily going to win out too much on the PR front simply by offering these fitness devices in the Happy Meals. And they'll win out even less if these devices have a penchant for malfunctioning. I do want to say this, though. I I am glad I'm not the person that's designing toys for a Happy Meal. Can you imagine everything that could possibly go wrong with a Happy Meal toy? Basically, there is nothing that could be fully childproofed without getting a complaint on social media. You could put a Super Bowl in there or a you know just a large foam square in there and someone would still complain about it on social media, either their kid choking on it or something else happening. So to be honest, I am very glad I'm not the engineer in charge of coming up with these Happy Meal toys. I think that the safer bet for McDonald's would be to partner with established toy industries and really try to get products that coincide with what's hot on the market now. Products that have already been rigorously tested, that kids have already had feedback on, and they really like to see. You know, a lot of times they try to theme toys into like a new movie release and those kinds of things, and I, I think they should be looking more towards that. But absolutely, it would be a tough job because you know that one misstep can really backfire and end up in a huge social media backlash. And we've arrived at our last segment on the Food Focus podcast, where both Leighton and I tell you about a product that we tried that's perhaps new to the food marketplace in the U.S. Leighton, what did you sample this week? This week, I actually went to Arby's for their new Italian meatball sub that was actually a little bit spicy and a little bit soggy. But to be honest with you, that would just match my expectations. The price point was fairly reasonable, and it actually came with a drink. You can have it as a combo and add a side if you wish. Again, at the price point that I expected, it was well worth the buy if you're into those types of things. But this is something that going forward, I'll probably be having more at a Subway or a Quiznos. This isn't something that I think Arby should really be trying, and I think it, it will be for a limited time. It, it's a pilot offering. I don't see it in Arby's locations for the long term. That particular item is something where that 
truly does mess with the back end at an Arby's. I am somewhat familiar with the kitchen at an Arby's and the way they do things. So having to carry both the meatballs and the marinara kind of messes things up in the back. And you could see franchisees perhaps not liking that particular limited time product. What was the exact price point on that? Yeah, the price point was $4.99 plus tax on that sub. All right. So good information there regarding Arby's. And again, I could see how based on the pictures online, at least that would completely mess up the chain of things in the kitchen at a neighborhood Arby's. Well, my product, I kind of cheated a little bit. I pulled a Layton, if you will, because I didn't try something that was new to the food marketplace, but it is new to me, at least. I'm a big eater of almonds. I frequently eat almonds. They're probably, along with other nuts and beans, my main protein source. And I went to the store and bought this week Blue Diamond Almonds Bold Habanero Barbecue Flavor. Typically, I get the wasabi and soy sauce flavor, but my store that I went to was out. And so I tried this habanero barbecue flavor. It is interesting. I do like spicy food, and the spice was there. It's a modest amount of spice, but a good one such that you can eat a full serving of almonds without it scorching your mouth. But the barbecue flavor, I'm holding them right now, the barbecue flavor is somewhat suspect. It actually tastes similar to almost a wing sauce, but there's a weird sour taste that's there, and I'm not sure I'm completely sold on these. As far as the almonds themselves, you know, Blue Diamond typically has pretty good, reliable quality in my experience. And, you know, listeners might be critical of the fact that I don't eat meat all the time, but just this morning, late, and just this morning, I had biometric screenings done, and my total cholesterol was 148 milligrams per deciliter of blood, I guess, and I am told that is in the desirable range. Anything under 200 is good, and my ratios, my TC to HDL ratios are good, triglycerides are good, so I credit almonds for some of that, whether I should or not. I'm not sure if there's a causal link there, but I'm happy that my cholesterol numbers came in good. Many nutritionists do say that the saturated fats within almonds are good saturated fats, so a lot of people look at the fat content of a particular item specifically nuts, and they look at how high it may be, but a lot of people are quick to understand that, listen, it's actually good fat, and your body does need fat as it uses it for energy. Overall, Blue Diamond is a really good brand. The only thing that I'm skeptical of when I look at a particular nut that is seasoned, I typically think of a high salt content. I try to avoid high sodium levels. We get enough sodium in other areas of our diet. So that's something I'm concerned about. But Blue Diamond actually has a lower sodium content. Do you know the sodium content on those almonds? I do. For 28 nuts, it is 100 milligrams, which is about 4% of your daily value. So that's really modest and right in line with most roasted salted almonds. That really is. That is a very low sodium content. And I think you can get flavor in other avenues, other natural spices. I think people within the industry are really looking at the higher salt content with a lot of current well-known brands and are competing in terms of getting other natural spices in there to really get that flavor in there. I will say this, though. My doctor said he listened to the last Food Focus podcast, and he told me that if I eat too many more cheesy core burritos at Taco Bell, that my cholesterol numbers might not be as good as what they are. So I'll heed his advice and probably stick with the almonds and stay away from the oodles of cheese that were in that burrito. 
Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Food Focus Podcast. Coming up next Wednesday, we'll drop another Retail Focus Podcast, wherein our number one story will be Sears. Sears and Kmart releasing more bad earnings this week, and we'll discuss that as well as earnings from Dollar Tree and Dollar General. We're scheduled to be joined by a guest that'll discuss the P3 Pet Show going on in Chicago this week as well and talk a little pet retail. So be sure and stay up for that. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic, Podcast Addict, or any other podcast delivery service. Reminder to check us out on Twitter at The Food Focus or at Retail Podcast. Have a great weekend. We'll be back with you with Retail Focus on Wednesday. This has been the Food Focus Podcast. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. For more information or for past podcast episodes, visit us online at retailfocuspodcast.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at The Food Focus for news in the restaurant, fast food, beverage, and grocery industries. Thank you.